The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. As some of you can see, I'm standing here with the Bible, and I'll get back to that. But I just wanted to point out to you what that was. This is an interesting time of year to be a seminary student because this is where we're coming to the end of all of our field education. So you have the Holy Week where you have many, many preaching opportunities. And then you have the end of the semester and every church is trying to give that seminary the chance to get all of the sermons in. And so what happens? You have all of these really bright, really energetic, really motivated young people reading Irenaeus, Origen, Tertullian, Spurgeon, all of these people trying to find that one text and that one interpretation that they can have that little edge on the rest of the preaching students. <laughs> We're always looking for that little niche. It's also interesting because we get a chance at this time of the year to think about what has led up to this day. 
to this moment, the, the Sunday after the high day of Easter, the celebration, the hallelujah is given back to us. We've finished our fast and our times of commitment, and now we've gotten a chance to rest. The sun is shining beautifully on the outside, and we're all sitting here comfortable and warm and fairly well dressed on the inside. Today, I'd like to look at our scripture text. I was thinking about the Bible, and I'm not going to stand here and make an argument about errancy or inerrancy, because that all depends on what you mean by errancy. And that's debatable. But I believe that the Bible, the scriptures, the canon, gives us an insight insight into a human experience that I think, coming from my tradition, is particular. And I'm going to hold on to that and specific. I can't let that go. And so as we looked at our readings, I wanted to think about what is really being said that holds these four texts together. I looked at the psalm, and I thought, maybe, just maybe, if we started at the psalm and looked at the New Testament readings through the lens of the gospel reading, maybe, just maybe, we might have a moment of enlightenment. I know everything that's to be said about the Bible and the scriptures and we've interpreted in Greek and Latin and Hebrew and German and French and all of the languages. All has been said that can be said. But I think that there's still yet more to say because I think that the human spirit is still yet alive and vibrant and giving and being born. Psalms 133 is called a song of ascent, of David. And I think that if David is a reflection point of this psalm, I think that it is apropos to start with, Behold how good and how pleasing it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I think David would know something about that. David, the man who had a relationship with King Saul. David, a man who fell in love with Saul's sons, the Jonathan. David, who had sons himself. And in each one of those relationships, there was a brokenness. There was some pain. There was some heartache. But David was able to look back and see a community coming together and say, behold how good it is when after all that I've been through, when after all that we've been through, when after all that you've been through, some of us in our families, in our relationships and friendships, and now since I'm married, I can say in our marriages, after all that we've come through, to be able to dwell together, to be able to step on the other side of the veil, I think that that really does give us a nice segue to the gospel reading. Where we have Jesus' 
disciples, followers, those committed to him, sitting in a room, maybe much like today, beautiful spring day on the outside, the sun is shining, it's been a beautiful day, the roses are budding, and as the sun is going down, their relationship with one another and what they do reflects the fact that the sun is going down. Why? They go into a room and close the door. They lock it shut for fear. I think that this may even give us an insight into our own human experiences. I would ask us the question today, how many of us on a beautiful day when we've gotten word of a risen Lord are sitting here with locked doors on our hearts? Sitting here with rooms that we allow no one into. Sitting here behind small doors with huge locks that we've thrown away the key to because of our brokenness. But I'm here to tell you today, and I just stopped by for a few minutes to say, there is someone who loves us more than we could ever love ourselves. Who loves us so much that he is more than compelled to go and rise into heaven. He is compelled to step into our locked room and to say to us, peace. There is much to be excited about. There is much to feel pain about. There is much to be disquieted about. There is much going on in our world that causes confusion and anxiety. There is much trauma in the economy. There is much happening in our neighborhoods and in our communities. There is much that our children are going to face. Our husbands and our wives and our family members, our bosses and loved ones are not perfect. There is much going on with your health. But I just stopped by to tell you, Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's beautiful because Jesus does it without an invitation. He does it not because he was invited into, but he does it because of his love for us. So I ask us all to take a moment and take a breath and ask ourselves, because my background being in, uh, you know, the human sciences, I believe that we all have locked doors. I think that's just part of being human. Part of protecting ourselves. It's part of our evolution. Ways in which Christ is stepping into our lives. The resurrected Lord. With all power in heaven and in earth. In his hand. Saying peace. And not only saying peace but ministering to our confusion. How does he minister to, his, to our confusion? By making himself available. Here, touch my hands. Touch my side. You need proof. Brother Dallas, sometimes we need proof. Sometimes faith takes us so far. You want me to tell you how I know? Because everyone in that room had made a sacrifice to follow Jesus. The disciples 
could stand before him and boldly say, we have left all to follow you. We have forsaken everything for your cause. Those women can say, we have made sacrifices for you. We women have given up family and home and maybe even the prospect of marriage to follow you. We have made sacrifices, but we are to a point to where we need something more because the world is closing in on us. And Jesus says, look, touch, see, I'm real. You know, I think Jesus is a very phenomenal person. That's my seminary education. (laughs) It's okay to talk about Jesus as long as we don't have a high Christology. Or as Bart would say, an absolute Christology. But I believe Jesus is a very interesting person. Why is Jesus such an interesting person? Because Jesus never does anything the way we think he should. When the Messiah comes, he does not come sitting with royal robes and, and, and royal uh, regalia around him. Where does he come? He comes in a manger. Wrapped in wags with men who have come on a long journey bound down before him with all of the sights, sounds, and smells of a barn. When he begins his ministry, he says, follow me. And they say, where? He says, I don't know where because sheep, because uh, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. When on trial, he says, I could call down 12 legions of angels, but I choose not to. I choose to endure the cross. And when Mary sees him, she does not recognize him either. The one woman that he had such a special relationship with, who may have even been the number one disciple. She does not recognize him. How is Christ revealing himself to us and we do not even recognize him? How? And so once again, Jesus is giving his disciples, his followers, you and me, Brother Barney, an opportunity to discover him afresh and anew, risen, alive, touchable, tangible, smellable, feelable. And then there's Thomas. Oh, doubting Thomas, as they would say. Because I ran to Tertullian origin, Augustine, and to... Uh, And to uh, Charles Spurgeon, too. But I'm not quite sure Thomas was a doubter. What makes Thomas any different than Mary, who didn't recognize him? What makes Thomas any different than Peter, who had to have proof? What makes Thomas any different than John, who when he got to to the mouth of the tomb did not go in? What makes Thomas any different than any of the rest of them who were sitting in that room afraid and locked in and closed in and not knowing where to go? 
What makes him any different? Well, I'll tell you what I think makes him different. And here's the Baptist preacher in me coming out. I believe Thomas had enough love and courage for Jesus to say, this is what I'm thinking about. I need proof to say what was really in his heart. To open the door intentionally that Jesus had to move into with the other disciples beyond and, and in spite of their desire to stay closed in. He had the courage to say, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I have faith in my old age. I have faith in my sickness. I have faith with my children. I have faith with my education. I have faith with my finances. But Lord, it looks like something else is going on. Help my unbelief. Do we love Jesus enough to be honest with him? To say it's really tough. And what you are asking me to do in this new phase of my life may be more than I can do. But my faith in you has gotten me to this point. And how do we see that lived out? We see that lived out in the Acts text. Where people are sitting. And they have all things in common. What do they have in common, Father Bakur? I'm not quite sure they have right theology in common. Oh, today we have good theology. We have theology that can intertwine Baptist and Episcopal and Lutheran and Catholic and Presbyterian and, and Assemblies of God and Pentecostal and Church of God in Christ. We have a theology that can embrace all of that. But what is it that makes it singularly unique? It is not, the, is not right theology. It is right relationship. When Christ moves into your life, when Jesus shows himself to you, when your life is no longer the way it was and you know it can no longer be the same, when you invite him into your locked room, you are entering into right relationship. Oh, how good and how pleasing it is when we are able to be in right relationship with one another through the singleness of heart of Christ. I know that might be tough because that's not, I mean, that's not postmodern theology. But is it not postmodern theology? Yes, it is. It is the theology that accepts and embraces and infirms and is egalitarian. And it is a theology that puts value on old and young and black and white. It is a theology that embraces others. It's what allows us to dwell together in unity. I believe Jesus told Nicodemus like this. Nicodemus, when you meet me, when I come into your locked door, into your room, it means that you have been born again of water and the Spirit. That's the beauty of what Jesus does when he blows on them. He connects them back to the beginning. And we have the Spirit moving on the chaos once more. 
on the chaos of the broken hearts, on the chaos of the locked doors, on the chaos of the confusion. We have the Spirit bringing peace again to the chaos, bringing life out of what has no form. And so, what happens as I come to the end of my text? We are able as those, Brother Jay, who allow him to come into our locked door. We are able to say that we testify. Of what we have seen with our eyes, what we have held with our hands, that God has the power to come into our brokenness, to our locked doors, and not only fulfill a text that was written 800 years, a song that was written 800 years before that day. But to move us into community, into love, and to give us something to tell a hurting and dying world that is something singularly unique from everything else they hear. Medicine can't give it to you. I love NGOs and nonprofits. But what makes the church different? Is it that we talk about Jesus? Is it that we have a spiritual baseline? Is it that we have a long history? No. No. It's that Christ is alive in our hearts. He has shown himself. I know I'm using a male pronoun. He has shown himself faithful and available and trustworthy. In our moments of pain and brokenness and disconnection. Because what do, what do they say about those men in Acts? Maybe what many people say, could say about me. These are ignorant and they are unlearned men. Mm-hmm. He is from Midland, Texas, the son of a hog farmer. Why would we let him in the University of Texas? Why would we let him in Loyola? Why would we let him in Harvard Divinity School? Why would we let him come to Concord? He doesn't have anything to say to us. But you did. And you do. Why? Because that love, that openness, that connection, that commitment, that power that moves beyond our locked doors has entered into all of our hearts and makes room for all of us. We know that these are not learned men, but there's one other thing that we know. They have been with Jesus. This is our testimony to the world. This is our testimony to the world. Not our right theology our right relationship. Amen.